hello. I'm here to see Captain Ruth Matheson. Identify yourself. Captain, it's me, Charlie. Warrant Officer Charlie Sato. You spoke to me this afternoon. It's procedure, okay? Commencing retinal scan. Look straight ahead and try not to blink. Now, genetic scan. Use the cotton bud provided, scrape the inside of your mouth, and place the bud in the DNA reader. Is this strictly necessary? Would I ask you if it wasn't? Well, anything else you'll be needing a sample of? Give it a minute. Right. You're authorized to step into the airlock. The airlock? No one can enter or leave the vault without undergoing decontamination. It won't take long. Just hold still. Oh, I should have said, cover your eyes. It stings. Okay, you're good. Here, Charlie, have a drink of water. It helps with the nausea. You all right? You're not going to throw up, are you? Uh, no, no, Captain, I'm fine. I just wasn't expecting the security to be quite so thorough. It has to be. We can't be too careful. Some of the tech we have in here, well, certain people out there would stop at nothing to get their hands on it. People? What people? Anything from crazed UFO memorabilia collectors to foreign governments, terrorist organizations, crime syndicates, you name it. That explains the ID check. What about all the business with the cotton bud? To make sure you're human. Because some of the people who want to get in here, uh, aren't. You mean... You've had aliens knocking on your door? Not just aliens. Androids. Which is why we use the sterilization gas that causes eye irritation. The final test. That was the final test? Which you passed with flying colors, Charlie. Good to finally meet you in the flesh. Can I get you anything? Coffee? No, no, I'm, I'm fine with water. You never mentioned any of this in the email. Would you still have come? Probably, yeah. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, isn't it? You think so? Totally. Who'd pass up a chance to visit the legendary Museum of Terrors? <laughs> the Museum of Terrors. So you've heard about this place? A bit. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to know about it, but ever since I joined UNIT, I've heard rumors. Stories. It's where UNIT keeps all the alien artifacts. Stuff left over from attempted invasions, or that's fallen to Earth, or has been dug up from beneath the ice. The gallery secrets. Well, it's useful to know that our attempts to keep this place quiet have failed abysmally. Anything else you've heard? No, nothing. I mean, until you contacted me, I didn't even believe the museum existed. Not really. No. No, I thought that if it ever had existed, it must have been shut down years ago. I certainly didn't expect it to still be operational, or that it would be located in an underground base beneath the Angel of the North. (laughs) We don't just have bases under London landmarks, you know. I know, but is that why they built that thing? The idea of someone high up in Geneva is something about being concealed in clear view. Easy to find, and yet in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, so when you told me it was real, that all the stories about unit secret ops were true... Not quite all. You shouldn't believe everything you hear about us. We have a reputation for not telling the truth. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the department exists. What do you mean? Disinformation. 
Say, for example, a hundred-foot sea monster were to burst out of the Thames directly outside the venue of the first international energy conference and start attacking traffic and passing tourists. This is an example of you not telling the truth, right? No, that's something that actually happened. But was it ever reported on the television or in the newspapers? No, because of unit secret ops. Whenever there is a public incident involving an extraterrestrial or classified technology, it's our job to tidy up afterwards. Tidy up? For want of a better term. Remove all evidence of the incident, any recordings or photographs. Take all witnesses into custody and convince them they were hallucinating or the subject of a publicity stunt. We also put out cover stories. You remember all that stuff that happened over the millennium due to freak fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic pole. Well, that was one of ours. Another one of your cover stories. Exactly. If the worst comes to the worst, we can put out a worldwide gagging order. And the fact that we can put out worldwide gagging orders is one of the best kept secrets of them all. We can also have material deleted from the internet, from computers, even from mobile phones without leaving any trace. All to maintain the status quo? To maintain public order. People aren't ready for the truth. If they knew how often the planet comes under threat and what sort of creatures we've been up against, there would be mass panic. Better to keep the people in the dark. For their own good. I get it. So they can sleep at night. And because it would make our job of protecting this planet a hell of a lot more difficult if we had to do it in public. What we do isn't always pleasant. Sometimes we have to make compromises. Sometimes it isn't always morally black and white. And besides, you try saving the world with a pack of photographers taking snaps of you every step of the way. Why are you telling me all this? The reason why I've invited you here. We've checked your records, your background, and we think you would be a good fit for our organization. You're offering me a job with Unit Secret Ops? Exactly. I'm afraid you'll be on the same pay grade, but you should find the work more challenging and interesting than your current job in the Skywatch division, chasing meteorites and weather balloons. Okay. What if I refuse? That's your prerogative. But if you wish to leave, you should do so now. And you won't do anything to stop me? No. Nothing at all? Nothing at all. The water you drank a few minutes ago contains a powerful amnestic. Unless I give you the antidote, you will forget everything that has happened to you in the last 24 hours. You think of everything. We have to. So, would you like to join us? Your unit personnel file indicates a strong interest in this area, and you certainly seemed very receptive to all the stories that our agents fed you about this place. You mean all the rumors I heard that was you deliberately... As you said, we think of everything. I'm afraid I'm going to have to hurry you for a decision before the memory drug starts taking effect. A decision? Uh, yes. Yes, I would love to work here. Excellent. Then if you just sign here and here... Excellent. Here's the antidote. I'd swig it down in one go if I were you. Ugh. I might take you up on that offer of coffee now. Hmm. Follow me. I'll show you the security kitchen. So what's the job? What do you want me to do exactly? You are to be my assistant. Your assistant? Assistant curator of the Museum of Terrors. A curator in the unit vault? What exactly does that entail? Paperwork. Running admissions, security checks. Oh. But mainly you'll be handling the night watch. You mean, making sure no one breaks in and steals the artifacts? That's part of it. 
part of it? You also have to make sure the artifacts don't break out. What? What sort of stuff do you keep down here? Well, if you're ready, I'll give you the guided tour. Or would you rather have your coffee now? No, no, let's get on with it. Good. Then if you'll come with me, I'll show you exactly what sort of stuff we keep down here. It's a bit dark. We keep it that way deliberately. Here, take a torch. Why? Why what? Why the darkness? Because some of the exhibits are light sensitive, shall we say. So be careful where you're shining that thing. You mean some of these things are still active? That they're dangerous? Extremely. So don't touch. Don't look too closely either if you can help it. Whoa, what are these robot things? They look like giant mosquitoes. Terrivore. They made an attempt on Earth last year. There were thousands of them swarming through the underground. You wouldn't have heard about it. No, no. And these, what are they? Seed pods? Crinoids. Only the empty husks, but we keep them frozen just in case. I see what you mean about dangerous. And what's that? Not sure. We think it may be part of a Centauran scout ship that crashed at Tunguska in the early 20th century. Either that or it's a rusted lump of metal. Quite the collection. Wait, <laughs> what's that? An old army uniform? Careful, Charlie. From the 19th century. What's that doing here? And why is it kept in a laser-alarmed case? Appearances can be deceptive. Sometimes the most prosaic objects can turn out to be the most deadly. So what's the story with this uniform, then? You can look it up in the unit archive using the access terminal. Well, you might as well just tell me. We've got all night, after all. If you insist. This jacket... Well, I know what. Uh, we should have a recording relating how it came to be in the museum. A DVD? A cassette tape. It should be somewhere. Uh, wait a moment. Yes. Here it is. A report made in... Uh, um, the date's smudged out, unreadable. Uh, by Joe Grant. Joe Grant? You've heard of her? Of course I have. Everyone's heard of her. She's a legend. The doctor's assistant who helped him defeat alien invasions on practically a monthly basis. Yeah, well, get ready to listen to the legend. Hello? Uh, testing. One, two. Oh, hang on. Is that... Oh, yeah. No, hang on. The doll's moving. Probably a good sign. Right. <clears throat> Oops, wrong button. Anyway, the thing is, well, I've been getting a bit behind with my paperwork, so the brigadier suggested it might be easier if I just dictated my reports into a tape recorder, you know, rather than writing them down. So I told him it's really hard keeping up with paperwork while you're being attacked by axons and sea devils and other planetary threats. But he said that I had to... No, 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 it's good. Right. Now, oh, where was I? Oh, yes, my report. Well, it all began when a friend of mine, Roddy, asked me out for a spot of lunch and maybe a bit of shopping down the King's Road. Yes, yes, Doctor, honestly, I'm, I'm just making it now. How many sugars do you want today? Do we have to listen to all of this? Hang on, I'll fast forward. Make me another cup of tea, he says. I'm a liberated woman. Next time, I'm going to... 
the doctor. He hasn't been acting himself ever since he bought that bright red army jacket. And now he's gone missing. So then the doctor Is that it? I think the machine ran out of tape and she didn't notice. There should be a second cassette somewhere. Actually, thinking about it, I think it might be simpler to just access the unit archive. Well, you can if you like while I find the second cassette. It kind of gone missing. Infantryman's Jacket Borrow War, purchased by Roddy Fletcher from a vintage clothes shop on King's Road. Miss Grant reports she was delighted with his purchase, and Mr. Fletcher seems to have worn jacket continually for next few weeks. Miss Grant noticed change in Mr. Fletcher's personality and asked Dr. J.S. to investigate. Upon entering Mr. Fletcher's flat, they found it in a chaotic state. They also discovered Mr. Fletcher's landlady, Mrs. Groves, suffering from a concussion after having been attacked. At this point, believing Mr. Fletcher to be violent and danger to public, unit were brought in to assist with locating Mr. Fletcher. You make it all sound so very exciting. That's why I prefer the audio recordings of what actually happened than a list of dry facts. I'd rather just have the facts. There's more to the past than just facts. Don't you want to know why things happened? And what it felt like? What people were like? Hmm, if it's relevant, but not if it's... It's a- always relevant. Besides, if you do end up working here, you'll have plenty of time on your hands. Ah! Here it is. The second Joe Grant tape. It doesn't seem to have been labeled properly. In fact, she seems to have recorded it over an album by Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, well. found ourselves up on the roof overlooking the whole town. And there was Roddy, standing on the edge, as though he was about to jump, and still wearing that bright red army jacket. I called out to him, but he didn't look up. The doctor then called out, This is your commanding officer, man. Stand to attention when you're being spoken to. And then, very gradually, Roddy turned to face us. Except it wasn't Roddy. I mean, it still looked like him. But when he spoke, he had this sort of slurred voice. You know, like a slowed-down record. Hang on, I'll do it for you. It was sort of like this. Where am I? The doctor took a step forward. Don't you know? Roddy shook his head. This place, all these people, all the noise. What's your name, soldier? asked the doctor. Tommy Watkins, sir, said Roddy. Private Watkins of the Lancashire Fusiliers, 2nd Battalion. This isn't your own time, is it? said the doctor. I don't know how he worked that out, but he had. Roddy's eyes filled with tears. My own time? Is this hell? I should be dead. I should be dead. It was my turn to ask a question. What's the last thing you remember? I remember, said Roddy, still in that slowed-down voice. But I'll stop doing it now because I'm about to turn into Boris Karloff. We'd captured the mount during the night. We thought we were safe. Then as dawn broke, the mist cleared, and we found we hadn't captured the mount at all. We were on one of the lower peaks, with boars on higher positions on three sides. We didn't stand a chance. The bombardment came, and then more burkers cut off our way of escape. We were trapped, and the heat 
and shells and no reinforcements. I wanted to surrender. I told my commanding officer, Lieutenant Thornycroft, and Roddy shook his head. He shot me. He shot me dead. The Battle of Spee and Cop, said the doctor sadly. A terrible day. But it's all over now, Private Tommy Watkins. It's time for you to... give up the ghost. And saying that, the Doctor leapt forward and, using his Venusian Aikido, dragged Roddy away from the edge and twisted the red jacket off his shoulders and hurled it as far as he could. Hello? Brigadier, I was just doing it, honestly. What's that? The Doctor asked you to call me to find out where his cup of tea has got to. Ah, great! Bang the... That's what happened? That's the end of Miss Grant's report. You'll see from the unit archive that we managed to fill in the gaps. As he was no longer under the influence of the jacket, Mr. Fletcher returned to normal, with little memory of the events. Unit secret ops had a word with Mrs. Groves and made her believe her injury was an accident. But according to the report, this uniform possessed the guy who was wearing it in some way. As far as we can gather. There was a private Tommy Watkins who was killed at the Battle of Spioncop. Presumably when he died, he was wearing the same jacket that was purchased by Miss Grant's friend. Some part of his consciousness must have lingered on after his death. But how? A haunted military uniform? That's absurd. Is it? Yeah, totally ridiculous. You'll see a lot of things in this museum, Charlie, that defy logical explanation. That's why they're here. But why attack his landlady? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Mm, The soldier was confused, suffering shell shock. Maybe he was trying to fight off the influence of the jacket and suffering temporary mental instability. We don't know. And we have no way of knowing until somebody else tries it on. What? You mean no one's tried it on in all... Not since that day, no. No one has even touched it with their bare hands. But it can't still be active. It was active after 70-odd years. Why not 110? Okay, I'm beginning to see what you mean. What's next on the Grand Tour? Let's see. What does our new recruit make of this? A black drape. It's what's behind the drape that should concern you. Why? What's behind it? A painting. A painting? What of? Well, that's the thing. About ten years ago, this painting was on sale at one of the auction houses in London. It was listed as an unattributed work, probably dating from the mid-19th century. It was known as the Quistador Maleri. Yes, but what is it a painting of? It was described as being an abstract work, early impressionist in style. No one could quite agree on what the subject matter was. Oh, right. All in the eye of the beholder. He sees a bicycle, she sees a bowl of fruit, like a Rorschach inkblot test. Quite. The sale didn't exactly go to plan, though, which is why UNIT were called in. It was one of my first assignments, creating a news blackout and hushing things up while trying to piece together what exactly had happened. So, what had happened? The UNIT archive contains an audio recording I made during my investigation. An interview with someone at the center of events. This is Sergeant Ruth Matheson. The date is June 6th, 2002. Location, London UNIT Headquarters. Debriefing one of the witnesses involved in the Quistador Maleri incident. Is this strictly necessary? Only I do have other things to do, you know. It won't take long, and then you'll be out of here and on your way. Name? Romana Dvaratralunda. I wish I hadn't asked. You may call me Romana. Everyone else does. Well, Romana, in your own words, 
Tell me how you first became involved with the painting. It all began, I suppose, when we arrived at the art gallery. The doctor said he was checking to see if he'd left himself any messages hidden in the corners of any paintings. I tried reminding him that we had a slightly more urgent mission to be getting on with, but he did insist. You already know the doctor, I take it. Oh, I know of him, from the unit archives. But you've never actually met him? No. Probably just as well, for your sake. He invites trouble. Anyway, the doctor was examining these paintings and arousing a fair amount of comment when he gave a sudden theatrical gasp and covered his eyes. Oh, I don't believe it, he said. One of the great lost treasures of the universe and it turns up in Kensington on a wet Wednesday afternoon. I asked him what he meant regarding lost treasures. This, he said, indicating one of the paintings. But don't look at it, Romana, whatever you do. Nobody must look at it. As he spoke, the doctor gingerly turned the painting to face the wall. I couldn't help raising an eyebrow. Doctor, I said, what is the point of a painting if nobody's allowed to look at it? Point, said the doctor. The point is what you might see if you look into it. I pointed out to the doctor that he was making even less sense than usual. This painting was stolen from the Braxiatel collection over two centuries ago, said the doctor. It has caused more suffering and anguish than any other work of art in history, including everything by Tracy Emin. I have to admit I was sceptical. Anyway, to cut a long story short, the doctor located the man who was auctioning the painting, a man of about 50 earth years called Hickson. He had an anxious, suspicious manner. He explained that he discovered the painting in the cellar of his grandparents' house. Have you looked at it? the doctor asked him. The man nodded. The doctor asked him what he'd seen. It, it's horrible, said the man. A road accident. A dead body lying twisted on the road. A man. A middle-aged man. And his face. Oh, the man's face. Seems familiar, asked the doctor. Like looking in a mirror? The man nodded. The doctor then explained. This painting, the Quistador Maleri was not a painting at all, but instead was designed to reveal to the observer the circumstances of their own death. What? An advanced form of temporal aperture, a window into the future. So that's why no one agreed on what the painting was of, because each person who looked into it saw a different picture. They saw how they were going to die. Precisely. One person would see themselves in old age, lying asleep in a bed, while another would see themselves in a heap at the bottom of some stairs, or in a hospital emergency room. So if I looked at the painting now... You would see your own death, yes. So I recommend you don't. Why not? Surely it would be useful to know. To know how long you had left, or so you could make sure that the events in the picture never came about? The doctor explained that it was said that no one could look at the painting and discover the manner of their own death without going mad. The painting's owner, Hickson, didn't believe the doctor and instead became distracted and confrontational. The doctor and I tried to reason with him and it was clear that some part of him knew we were telling the truth because he became desperate to be rid of the painting. He pulled it down from the wall and attempted to tear the canvas with his fingernails but found he couldn't make a mark on it. With an agonised animal yell, he turned and dashed out of the gallery. The doctor and I tried to stop him, but seconds after he'd left, we heard the screech of tyres, the crash of breaking glass, 
and a woman giving a sudden, terrified scream. Oh. So, you still want to look at the picture? Um, no. Because if you end up seeing your own death but can't avoid it... It would end up driving you insane, just as the doctor said. So, how did it end up in the unit archive? After the accident, one of our agents was called to the scene. One of our agents? Okay, it was me. You see, whenever an alien artifact is discovered, we have strict instructions on how we should proceed. The doctor intended to remove the painting and to take it somewhere to be destroyed. So... So, I made sure another painting was substituted in its place. As the doctor would never dare look at it, he would never know what had happened. I then took the doctor's assistant into custody for questioning before releasing her and letting them both continue their travels. And that's unit procedure? Indeed. To acquire for the unit archive any and all objects of extraterrestrial origin which may prove useful in the defense of the Earth. We can't just rely on the doctor to turn up and save us. We have to protect ourselves by any means at our disposal. So, do UNIT use this painting to predict future events? At the moment, it's classed as an Omega-10 artifact, meaning it is only to be used when all other alternatives have failed. Have you looked at it? I have been tempted, but no. Whether I'm due to die tomorrow or in 50 years, I'd rather not know. There are some things where you're better off letting them come as a surprise. So, Charlie, what do you think of the museum now? This place is incredible. What else do you keep in here? What's, what's that? You'll have to shine the torch. I can't see. There. That, that crystal. It's perfect. And huge. What is it, a diamond? Ah. Now that's an interesting piece. Don't tell me. You've got some sort of audio recording about it. Actually, in this case, there wasn't any need. What do you mean? Hey, hey, what are you doing? It's okay. The crystal is perfectly safe to be handled. You're sure about that? Zoe? Is the crystal safe to touch? Of course it is. Who is that? The voice of another doctor's companion, a girl called Zoe Harriet. But why is it speaking with her voice? Here, take the crystal. Ask it yourself. Okay, if you say so. Zoe, why is the crystal... Why does it have your voice? Because it contains my memories. I don't understand. Will you explain to him, Ruth, or shall I? I'll begin. It all took place about 50 years ago. There had been a spate of bank robberies in Manchester, Birmingham, and the surrounding counties. At first, it seemed pretty run-of-the-mill, and the investigation was handled by the domestic police. You have to remember that at the time, UNIT had only been in existence for a few months. You also have to remember that this is back in the days before security cameras, back when all the police had to go on were eyewitness reports. What does the crystal have to do with any of this? I'm coming to that. You see, after each robbery, the police would interview all the witnesses, the bank staff, the customers, only to find that none of them had any memory of the robbery taking place. What? It was as if they remembered everything up to the moment before the thieves entered the building, and then nothing until the moment they left. They were using a memory wipe. 
At the time, the police had no idea what was happening. They thought it was due to some sort of hypnotic influence or the thieves were using a sleeping gas. But with no eyewitnesses, their investigation was drawing a blank and the criminals were growing bolder, pulling off larger and larger robberies. If the doctor hadn't become involved, the way things were going, they would have probably bankrupted the British government. So how did the doctor become involved? Apparently, he was making one of his flying visits to Earth with his friends Jamie and Zoe. You, you've read their files in the archive, right? Yes, the incident with the International Electromatics and the Cybermen in the sewer, plus that whole other business with the giant. Yes. Well, they were caught up in one of the robberies in a scientific research base. They were there to see some scientists conducting an experiment using gold or something. Anyway, the doctor, Jamie, and Zoe were in the research base when this gang of thugs burst in, waving shotguns. The doctor's friend Jamie tried picking a fight with one of them and was knocked out while the doctor and Zoe hid in a storage cupboard. <laughs> they hid in a cupboard? So what happened next? I'll let Zoe take over the story. Zoe? I was wondering when it would be my turn. So, we watched from inside the cupboard as this collection of burly gangsters ransacked the base. While I tried to remain quiet, the doctor fished a small camera out of his pocket and began taking photographs of the gangsters. And then the leader of the gang, a man whose name I later learned was Dalgleish, took out this large crystal, like a diamond, and there was a blinding white flash. And then the next thing I remembered was waking up in the cupboard with the doctor slumped unconscious against me. I was not too pleased about this, as you might imagine, as I had no memory of how we got into there. The crystal. It had wiped your memories of the robbery. So, how do you remember what happened? I was coming to that. You see, Jamie had been knocked unconscious during the attack, which meant that the crystal had had no effect on him. So he was able to describe the robbery to the doctor. The doctor turned to me. Zoe, do you remember those lessons I taught you about being able to recover memories after they'd been wiped? I nodded. The doctor then closed his eyes and placed his fingertips on my temples. Then concentrate, Zoe. Concentrate. Listen to the sound of my voice. And then, with a blinding white flash, I remembered the events of the robbery, the faces of the robbers, what they were wearing, and the large crystal. Some sort of brainwashing device, mused the doctor. Obviously not of this time. I wonder how they managed to get their hands on it. You mean, it fell from the stars, said Jamie. Well, there's only one way of finding out, smiled the doctor. And that's how, two days later, we found ourselves being led into a dark, disused warehouse by a tall, burly man in beer bottle glasses. The doctor had spent the two days pretending to be a seedy gangland boss who'd recently arrived in the area making contacts with the criminal underworld. With Jamie as his bodyguard and me as his... Well, I suppose you would say I was his personal secretary. We were shown into a cramped, smoky office with photographs on the wall that rattled as a train went past. Sitting at the desk was Dalgleish, a heavily built man with slicked back hair and a stitched scar running down one cheek. Uh, this is the guy who wanted to see you, boss said our guide, indicating the doctor. Mr... Doctor, John Smith, said the doctor curtly, taking a seat. You're the fellow in charge of this operation, I take it? Dalgleish sized up the doctor warily. 
I, uh, I hear you want to make me an offer. I want to join forces, said the doctor. You see, there's a little job I've been planning. The Bank of England. Dalgleish was impressed. Go on. The doctor narrowed his eyes. In a few months, they'll be printing up all the notes required for decimalization. Millions and millions of pounds, all freshly minted, all sitting in one vault, all ripe for the taking. And you can get us in there, said Dalgleish. Only the governor knows the codes to the vault. If my people were to kidnap him, I was hoping you might be able to help find a way to loosen his tongue. Dalgleish smiled and stood up, then swung aside one photograph to reveal a safe. He opened the safe and took out a large crystal. We can find out anything we want with this, he said proudly. Oh, that's interesting, said the doctor. What is it? With this crystal, said Dalgleish, we can unpick the locks of anybody's minds and force them to reveal their secrets. And then, once we have what we need, we can use it to take away their memories. I see, said the doctor. Not just a brain wiper, but a memory storage device. I suppose you used it when you robbed the scientific research base. I haven't robbed any scientific research base, said Dalgleish. Oh, I see, said the doctor, as though humouring him. He indicated the tall man with beer bottle glasses who'd just led us in. Very clever. You use your crystal not just to wipe the minds of the people you're robbing, but also your employees, to avoid having to pay them their share of the loot. The tall man stared at Dalgleish. Don't listen to him, said Dalgleish. He's just trying to yank your chain. Am I, said the doctor innocently, turning back to the tall man. Tell me, do you remember what you were doing three days ago? Maybe this will remind you. The doctor pulled a photograph from his pocket with a flourish. It was one of the photographs he'd taken of the robbery, clearly showing the tall, burly man with the beer bottle glasses in the process of stealing the gold. Seeing the photograph, the man turned towards Dalgleish and spoke for the first time. Mr Dalgleish, he said, you've been taking advantage. Dalgleish backed away. I haven't. It was for your own good. I was going to give you your memories back. At this, the burly man lunged at him, knocking him against the wall. Dalgleish dropped the crystal, which landed neatly in the doctor's hands. He held it up towards the two gangsters at arm's length, as though it were an unexploded bomb. And suddenly, there was a blinding flash of light. Dalgleish and the tall man both became suddenly calm, blinking and, and looking around as though they were lost. Where am I? said Dalgleish to the doctor. Who are you? What have you done? whispered Jamie to the doctor. I've, uh, removed all their memories of the last few months, including everything to do with this. The doctor tapped the crystal secretively, then drew himself up to his full height to address the two gangsters. Gentlemen, if you would care to step outside, I think you'll find the police are waiting for you. But that doesn't explain how the crystal ended up in the museum. You mentioned that time the doctor helped out Unit and the Brigadier. Not the affair with the Cybermen, but the other business, with the Giants. Yes. Well, 
After that incident, the doctor gave the brigadier this crystal as a gift, under strict instructions that he should only use it when strictly necessary. Use it? For what? Unit Special Ops. You remember I told you earlier about how we tidy up after alien invasions, how we remove all the evidence. Well, we use this crystal to deal with any inconvenient eyewitnesses, to make sure they only remember what we want them to remember. You use it to wipe their memories? No, we transfer their memories of the alien encounter into the crystal, where we can access those memories for archive purposes, and where they will no longer be of any trouble to their original owners. And what about Zoe? Zoe's memory's in there, too. Yes, the doctor's idea. He felt we might need a user manual. So the crystal also contains a copy of Zoe's consciousness, all her memories regarding the crystal and how to operate it. I see. So that's why you know it's safe, because you're the officer in charge of using it. One of them, yes. If that troubles you, I can always make you forget. No, no, I'm fine with it. Absolutely fine. So what other stuff do you have here relating to the mysterious doctor? You wouldn't believe how many extraterrestrial items we have relating to the doctor. It would probably be quicker to list all the ones he isn't involved with. What's that? Not sure. Wait. One of the time capsules. Follow me. What? Where to? Some of the artifacts here are deposited in vacuum capsules, electronically sealed to keep their contents secure until such and such a date. You mean, do not open until the year 2011? Exactly. But this capsule has been set to be open tonight. Who by? The doctor. It doesn't say which one, though. What's inside? Stand back. I'll take a look. What's that? A wax phonograph cylinder. The earliest form of audio recording. Looks fragile. It is. Hold on a moment. We should have something to play it on somewhere. (laughs) And I thought cassette tapes were ancient. It's not the only one in our collection. Here, an optical reader. Just slot it in and a laser will pick up what's recorded on it, if anything. Listen very carefully. This is a warning. My name is Stephen Taylor. I travel with a scientist called The Doctor and the Doctor's assistant, Dodo. The year is 1900. I'm not sure of our precise location. Somewhere in South Africa, I think. We came here after picking up a radio signal, a distress call from a ship, but this was no ordinary ship, at least not one that travelled the Earth's oceans. The distress call came from a ship that travelled between the stars. It took almost an hour for the Doctor, Dodo and I to locate the crashed craft, as we'd landed in the middle of the night and were surrounded by a thick mist that made it hard to see more than a few yards ahead. When we reached the craft, there wasn't much to see, save for some twisted, smoking shards of metal buried in the ground. At first, we assumed there were no survivors, until Dodo gave a gasp. There, in what had been the ship's cockpit, was a figure in a spacesuit, still strapped to the seat. Peering into the helmet, I could make out saucer-like eyes like those of a dead fish and some glistening serrated teeth. Whatever was inside this spacesuit, it wasn't human. The doctor tapped it with his walking stick and asked it what had happened. 
The creature hissed with great effort. Systems failure. The prisoner, it has escaped. Dodo asked the obvious question. What does this prisoner look like? The creature hissed. It is one of you. Beware. Beware. Then it gave a final great rasp and fell silent. I asked the doctor what he thought the creature meant. The doctor hummed for a while before saying, hmm, Well, my boy, I assume he meant that this prisoner resembles a human being with two arms, two legs, one head. Not the most helpful of descriptions. Hmm? Dodo asked the doctor what the creature had meant by prisoner. My dear, isn't it obvious, he replied, this ship was some sort of prison transport. And whoever it was transporting is now at large, I reminded him. Before any of us could speak, there suddenly came the sound of gunfire and explosions. It was between us and the TARDIS. We attempted to hide as a dozen or so infantrymen emerged from the mist, wearing bright red jackets and carrying rifles with bayonets. Several of them had terrible injuries. We were soon discovered and the infantrymen took us prisoner. They led us up a steep, muddy hill for an hour or more until we reached their base camp. We were given water and some tinned meat that tasted like dried beef before being taken to see the senior officer by one of the young soldiers, a boy of no more than 18, called Tommy Watkins. But that's the same guy. Wait to the end. We were ushered into a tent to be greeted by a man in his 50s with a narrow nose and sunken cheeks. This was Lieutenant Thornycroft. He asked us why we were there, and the doctor spun him some yarn. While he was doing that, I noticed that Thornycroft didn't seem to be breathing. His eyes also seemed lifeless, like those of a corpse, and no matter how loud or close the explosions outside were, he didn't blink. And, looking closer, he had a gaping, blackened wound in his side, a wound that would have killed any mortal man. The doctor had already guessed the truth. He challenged the soldier... "'You're not Lieutenant Thornycroft,' he said, in that dismissive, imperious way of his. "'We were warned, you see. We were told you would be one of us,' Dodo gasped. "'You mean this man is the escaped prisoner?' The doctor nodded. "'Or rather, the escaped prisoner is now occupying the lieutenant's physical form. "'He has no choice but to do its bidding. Hmm. "'Who are you, really?' Thornycroft smiled. My name is Kali Karash. I sense that, like me, you're not a creature of this world, which means you must have a means of leaving this planet. The doctor was appalled. What? No, absolutely not, Thornycroft continued. I had resigned myself to spending the next century or more occupying the bodies of these puny creatures until their technology had become sufficiently developed. But now, that will no longer be necessary. Bodies, I said. You, you mean you can possess several people at once? No, but at the point of death, I can transfer from one mind to another. I've made myself immortal, he boasted. While those around me wither and die, I shall endure forever. Now, 
Take me to your spacecraft. The doctor repeated his denial. I was expecting Thornycroft to threaten us, but instead he just smiled, or at least he bared his teeth. Very well. You shall join me then as I take my amusement. You see, I have led these men into a trap. As soon as it is light, they will find themselves at the mercy of their enemies. Soon, the ground will be soaked with their blood. But that's horrible, exclaimed Dodo. More than horrible, I said. It's psychotic. Thornycroft smiled at me as though I'd paid him a compliment. There is no greater pleasure to be had than in causing death and suffering. And unless you help me leave this world... You have no idea how many lives I will take. What? What happened? Give me a moment. The rest of the recording is degraded. It's unplayable, as good as wiped. But we don't know what happened next. Frustrating, I know. But sometimes you don't get the full story, just fragments. You'll learn to live with it. But this creature he described, Kali Karash. Yes? Well, he might still be at large. Remember the beginning of the message? It was a warning. Or the doctor and Stephen found some way of stopping him. We don't know. And without the rest of the recording, there's no way of finding out. But there is. What? Stephen mentioned his name, Tommy Watkins. The soldier whose ghost lived on in his uniform, he was there at the same battle. So? So he'll be able to tell us what happened next. You're suggesting that one of us puts on the jacket and brings him back. Why not? Why not? Because it's against all security protocols for a start. And you always follow procedure? Of course. Then that's the difference between you and me. All I have to do is put it on and you just have to make sure that I take it off again after a few minutes once we've found out what's happened. No, I can't allow it. But the warning. The capsule was set to open tonight, remember? And anyway, the uniform probably still isn't active, if it ever was. Charlie, don't touch it. Charlie, what are you doing? Don't put it on. That's an order. I'm ordering you. It's all right. It's still me. I'm perfectly fine. Oh, thank goodness. That's a relief. Now just take the jacket off again and we'll... No. What? Why? Because it's my uniform. Lancashire Fusiliers, 2nd Battalion. What's your name? Tommy Watkins, miss. If you don't mind me asking, who are you? I'm a soldier too, Tommy. A captain. Captain Ruth Matheson. You? But you're a lady. Where am I, anyway? You're safe. That's all you need to know. Now please, just take off the jacket and give me Charlie back. Charlie? Who's Charlie? The person whose body you're occupying. What are you on about? I ain't occupying any body. Look in the mirror. Blimey. I'm an oriental. So this Charlie, why did he put on my jacket? Because, because he wanted to find out about what happened before you died, Tommy. Before I died? Yes. I died. Yes. But before that, Tommy, do you remember meeting the doctor? Stephen and Dodo? The doctor? Yes, I remember him. Old gentleman, white hair, giggled a lot. Then I saw him again. You did? But he looked different. He still had the white hair, but younger, with a lined face and a great big hooter. Of course. When you occupied the body of Joe's friend, Roddy, you met another of the doctor's incarnations. Yeah. I remember being up on a rooftop, which means 
I must be... I must be in the unit vault. Just as I planned. Just as you planned? Tommy, what are you talking about? My name is not Tommy Watkins. My name is Callie Karash. Callie Karash? You mean... the escaped prisoner? The one Stephen talked about? Indeed. And now I have returned to take my pleasure in... What year is this? 2011. But what happened back in 1900? How did your... mind end up inhabiting a dead soldier's jacket? When the doctor revealed my true nature, young Tommy Watkins sacrificed his life attempting to kill me. So I allowed Thornycroft to die to convince the doctor that I had been eliminated. But I did not die. Instead, I transferred my consciousness into the fabric of Tommy Watkins' uniform, ready to occupy the next person to come into contact with it. Of course. That was Stephen's warning. It seems the doctor was not entirely sure I had been totally destroyed. I dare say the remainder of the cylinder would have told you to keep a lookout for any relics from that battle with strange properties. Always a pity when you only get half the story. So that was your plan? To take over the body of the next person who touched the uniform? Indeed. And so I worked my way to the shores of Great Britain, searching for years for the technology that would enable me to leave this wretched planet. But human progress was too slow. I knew my only way of escape would be by extraterrestrial means, and then a young man, name of Roddy Fletcher, purchased the jacket, leading me to encounter the delightful Miss Jo Grant. She was the one who told you about this place. Not exactly good at keeping secrets, that girl. Given her track record, I'm not entirely surprised. But how to gain entry to the vault? I would hardly be able to walk in through the front door. So I attacked Mr. Fletcher's landlady to make sure that unit would become involved and adopted the persona of Tommy Watkins, poor, innocent, harmless, private Watkins, to gain the doctor's sympathy and to ensure the jacket would not be destroyed, but would instead be placed in your collection of curiosities. I knew that sooner or later, someone's curiosity would get the better of them, and they would want to try it on. So, you've managed to break in. Well done. But if you think there's anything here that will help you leave, you're wrong. This vault contains treasures from beyond the stars. With these artifacts, artifacts where you can only guess as to their true purpose, I could enslave the entire planet. And then, under my guidance, the human race will develop the technology to permit me to travel on to yet more worlds, transferring my spirit into new bodies. I shall never die. I shall be all-conquering for all eternity. But at the moment, you're reliant on that body. What? Basic security protocol. In the event of any member of vault personnel being compromised, their life is to be considered disposable. I can kill Charlie, and you'll die along with him. You cannot kill me. Oh, your spirit will remain in that uniform, sure. 
but I'll make sure that jacket ends up being dumped inside a particle accelerator so that not a single atom of it remains. You cannot kill me, Captain, because even if you shot this body at point-blank range, I would still be able to animate it, just as I did with the Lieutenant. You will still die. You are mistaken. But please, go ahead, Captain Matheson. Fire away. If you don't believe me, I'll show you. Do you know what this is? A painting. What of it? A very special painting. The Quistador Maleri. It shows the observer the circumstances of their own death. Look into it, and you will see just how immortal you are. Fascinating. But that... that cannot be! That's impossible! What do you see? I see this body, this form I inhabit, lying dead on the floor of this museum. Interesting. And there's broken glass, crystal, on the ground. Thanks. That's just what I needed to know. What? What artifact I would need to use to destroy you. What is that? Some sort of weapon? If you like. It's a long story. Now, this is your last chance. Let Charlie go! Or you will shoot the both of us? You've seen the painting. You know how it ends. No. I know only a potential future. One that can now be rewritten. If I know what is to come, then I can use that foreknowledge to avoid it. I wouldn't be so sure of that. Zoe, you know what to do. Of course. Absorbing consciousness now. What are you doing? No. I... I'm sorry, Callie Karash, but I did give you a final warning. Absorption of consciousness successful. Which means all I have to do now is... Sorry, Zoe. There's no need to apologize. I'm only a memory recording. Goodbye, Ruth. It's been fun knowing you. You too. Goodbye, Zoe. Okay, Charlie. Uh-huh. Charlie, wake up. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, oh. What happened? Thank goodness, it's you. Oh, it feels like every hangover I've ever had all at once. You disobeyed an order, soldier, and I very nearly had to kill you as a result. Oh, you mean when I touched the jacket? You were possessed by the alien entity Kali Karash. Oh, but if I was... Where is it now? It's gone. It's been destroyed. Look at the floor. The memory crystal. You smashed it to pieces. We thought it was a repository for memories. Turns out it was more than that. It was a repository for minds. I used it to draw the consciousness of Callie from your body. And then, once Callie was contained within the crystal, I... You destroyed it. But how did you know what to do? Wait. The Quistador Maleri. You've removed the covers. Don't look into it, Charlie. Callie looked into it and described exactly how he could be killed. The picture showed your body lying dead on the floor, so he assumed that meant he would die whilst occupying your body. But then he mentioned that the painting also showed a broken crystal. I realized it was that part of the painting that was depicting the manner of his death, and that the body on the floor wasn't dead at all. Things aren't always quite how they seem. I thought you said that crystal thing was unique. Absolutely priceless. But expendable. Everything in the museum is expendable, and everyone. Would you really have killed me if there had been no other option? Without a moment's hesitation. 
And I would expect you to do the same if the situation were reversed. You mean, you're not firing me? No. You've learned the first lesson of working here. A lesson you won't forget in a hurry. Don't touch. That everyone who works here has to be prepared to kill or be killed in order to assure the security of the museum. I see. Now, take off that stupid jacket and let's get some coffee. Do you think it's safe? It should be, though I'd be careful of the milk. It's two days past its use-by date. I meant the jacket. Probably. But we'll keep it locked away. The second rule of the vault? One can never be too careful. There's still one thing I don't understand. The wax cylinder was in a time capsule set to be opened on this night. So? So why did the doctor decide it should be opened tonight rather than ten years ago or in ten years' time? When we get back to the office, I'll write a report on the events of this night, including details of how I encountered and defeated Kali Karash. I can only assume that at some point in the future, the doctor reads that report and then travels back in time to set the time capsule to open tonight. But that doesn't make any sense. Things seldom do when the doctor is involved. Come on, Charlie. But but what about all the other stuff you've got here? You were giving me a guided tour. What about those freaky African masks? Or those plastic daffodils? Or that chess set? Or, or that, that grandfather clock? I haven't forgotten. There's so much more to see. We've barely scratched the surface. Some of the things we have here, the stories, would blow your mind. But they'll keep till next time. Next time? Tomorrow. I think we've seen enough of this place for one night, don't you? You know, I think I'm going to enjoy working here. Thank <laughs> you.